0: Santeta!
2: What a strike! What a screamer! Zola! And a fantastic goal! Arsenal back in it. here's Limpa. Lines it up. Finds the net. Arsenal in front.
1: I'm not crying. You're crying. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. All right, I am crying, but so are you. Admit it, you're crying. And here, still crying, is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And not crying, but drinking his way through it is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. You guys got the benefit of a bank holiday to uh, to soothe the pain. I did not. Uh, fortunately for me, I do not have a job to go to, so it doesn't matter. Uh <laughs> What a special day. I mean, such a special, special day, and a day that was that was so emblematic of everything that Arsene stands for. His philosophy was on display on the pitch. His ideals and his erudition and his qualities as a human being were on display in his speech. Uh, there was so much about what makes the club special on display, both in the stands and on the pitch. Maybe a few things to be disappointed in as well that we can touch on. I want to get to some of the game stuff, but I think that has to take a backseat to the celebration of Arsene Wenger. And Tim, since you were there, I will Mm. start with you uh, and just maybe you can summarize uh, without covering all of it. So we have something to do a podcast on (laughs) what it felt like. I mean, you had come to the conclusion that a lot of us had that Mm. it was time to move on from this manager. But on the day, emotionally, how did it hit you?
2: Yeah, it really did. I think it really hit everyone. One of, one of the things I really and it wasn't just the emotion which really started to kick in afterwards, but during the game, um, what really, really kind of, um, really made me happy about the day was this felt like an this really felt like an occasion, and I thought it would. I got up to the ground um, as is traditional. We always have a lunch before the last home game of the season. The guys I drink with at home games. And uh, so I got up there about half twelve and I went, you know, four hours before kickoff. I went to get a program. Um, I went to sign. They've got like a book in the armory uh, where you can write a little message to Arsene Benger. And I did that. I signed the book. And, um, you know, the cues for the programs when I was walking to the ground, it it was just it really, really reminded me the whole day in so many respects of the last ever game at Highbury. It just felt like. And, you know, the sun was out, which always really helps. What it really felt like was everybody came completely determined to enjoy and soak up the occasion. And the reason that hit me so much was just because I think home games for the last couple of years now, everyone's seen the empty seats. But as well as that, a lot of people, I think, have just been going out of a sense of obligation and you've really felt that in the stadium and it's weird because every, well, not everybody but lots of people seem to think that you know arsenal fans are like super angry all the time and they see like one or two people who are on arsenal fan tv and one or two people who rant on twitter and they think that that's everybody and that that's like the the prevailing mood of the stadium and it has it hasn't been for some time there's never really been there's been like a bit of a slightly grumpy undercurrent at the Emirates. It's been a little bit more volatile at away games, but it's not, you know, that stadium has never taken against him. There's been an undercurrent, but it's there's never been like a, a Wenger out chant or anything like that at the Emirates. But yesterday, it really felt like everyone came to the game, game determined to enjoy it. And right from the off, they was singing, not just about Arsenal, but, you know, There was a real mood of reflection and celebration and singing, you know, the names of like Thierry Omri and Patrick Vieira and Dennis Bergkamp. And it really felt like everyone was completely determined to just enjoy the occasion and soak it up for what it was. And that's in such stark contrast to what home games have actually been over the last few years, where either people just straight haven't turned up or have turned up half interested or turned up kind of, you know, thinking the first misplaced pass I'm going to vent some spleen. That is what I've come here to do. I've come here to be miserable, to be angry, whatever else. And, uh, and yesterday that all went away and it really, really felt like a celebration. It wasn't mawkish. It wasn't funereal. It really felt like everyone sensed that they were witnessing history. And uh, I absolutely loved every minute, every minute of it. I really, really did. And um, I think what it showed as well, it's, it's easy and it's, Convenient to think, like I said earlier, that everyone's just been like screaming like banshees for years, and oh, you know, Arsenal have been forcing their manager out and things like that. I think Paul said something very, very important about a week or two ago on this podcast let's, where he said,
1: "Let's not go down that road." Well, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: he, he said that actually he felt quite proud because he recognised that the vast, vast, vast majority of Arsenal fans, you know, and you'd almost call them the silent majority. Have been, you know, have been totally respectful. Probably we've come to a stage where, you know, the vast majority want him to leave, but the vast majority are almost fairly silent in that wish, just sitting there going, Oh God, Arson, please just like please stop this. We all love you. We don't want this anymore. That that's been the prevailing feeling. And what happened yesterday was that everybody got the chance to just cast that to one side and express their gratitude and the last couple of years, where it's just been a little bit of a drag, and it's been a little bit, oh God, Arsenal, please just go. I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and chant for you to leave, but please just stop this. And and you know, it's it's very convenient for some people to think that it's that you know all Arsenal fans are horrible bastards driving their manager out, but that's not it. That's not it at all. Um, you know, there's a, there's a loud minority and they're quite entitled to be a loud minority if they want to be, but you know, there's, there's a a loud minority, but I think what you saw yesterday, everyone, but everyone stayed after the final whistle. And I know we won five nil, but everyone turned up as well. And like I said, the keys for the programs, the keys for the book in the armory, it, it felt like, um, you know, it felt like everyone had been set free and it was like, right, finally, I just get to say thank you. Um, I get to cast off the last two years where it's been under my skin a bit, where I love this man, but I really want him to leave. And now all of that is put to one side. And it just felt like, um, you know, very like carnival-like. Um, and it was very emotional. And the the kind of the, the stuff afterwards, I thought the club handled it perfectly. They got the balance exactly right between. So I thought Ivan Gazidis' press conference for example, after the announcement, I mean, it was a power play. It was him, like swinging his dick about, going, "I'm the big man here now," um, and it was a bit of an ego move. But it was also like a bit mawkish and a bit funereal, and I think Arsene Wenger made some reference to that. But actually, I think the club got it spot on yesterday. I think they handled it perfectly, and the gesture of giving him, um, you know, the gold trophy, I think, is absolutely pitch and tone perfect really really perfect um, and and you know they, they didn't do anything before the game really it was it was all after the game and and it, it was a fun, and I use the word occasion very very um, emphatically it was a great occasion and you know what I think Arson enjoyed it as well. I know like um he'll say that you know I, he, he's generally the kind of personality that doesn't like being the center of attention he doesn't like it being about him. But, you know, I watched him walk around and do that lap of appreciation. And he enjoyed that. And he was, rightly, he was 10 paces ahead of the rest of the team. And that might have been the team taking a bit of distance from him and allowing him some respectful distance. But he didn't exactly fall back. He enjoyed it. He really enjoyed that. And uh, it was great to see. And And for me, that was fantastic because even though, you know, I'd have preferred to see him go out with the FA Cup above his head at Wembley, for example, on the couple of occasions he's had the opportunity. But what was nice about this was that everyone knew it was the last game and everyone knew it was just their chance to say thank you. Um, and that really, really came through and it just felt like a lot of bad feeling and a lot of um, gnawing emotions just completely washed away. Um, and and also, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this. There's a, there's a little bit, you know, excitement about the future in there as well. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a little bit of uh, the king is dead, long live the king. There's definitely a big element of that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was my, by far and away, my favorite game um, at the Emirates so far. Um, wow, and it was yeah. wonderful. It was a great occasion.
1: I think they got it spot on. I, I will address two things before I turn it over to you, Clive. One is just that... That day made me realize how silly it was to worry about him winning the Europa League and going out on top or even winning the FA Cup. My fear and pain after Thursday night was he won't get the send-off he deserves. He won't get to go off on a high. But what you realize about the magnitude of his impact on the club and the impact he had emotionally on so many Arsenal supporters and the way he's been woven into the fabric of English football and the accomplishments he's had and the, the magnitude of 22 years is that It didn't matter how he went out. And that on the day he was celebrated, it was bigger than any Europa League trophy or FA Cup trophy or indeed any trophy. And that the celebration itself was the trophy. And to to worry that he would not get to go out on top now seems so unnecessary in retrospect. And I'm so glad Mm. that it turned out that way. And on the day, it felt so silly to me to have had that concern. He, He got the... The love and appreciation that he deserved and had earned, and it flooded back instantly. I instantly missed him more than I expected I would. I instantly respected him more than I already did, which was tremendously uh, a lot to uh, have a terrible turn of phrase. So that was one thing that struck me. The other thing that struck me, and I don't know if you guys will agree with this uh, because I rarely make points that people agree with, but – you know, I, I quit a career once, and I was not in it as long as, long as he was, obviously. But it was a career that I had studied for, that I'd gone to school for, and it was a big decision to quit it. And in the months leading up to that decision and eventually departing, I was paralyzed by fear that I was making the wrong choice. And what was I doing with my life? And the day I walked out of the building, I felt 20 pounds lighter, and I couldn't stop smiling ear to ear. And actually, <clears throat> once I had done it, the relief washed over me. And watching Arson... And certainly there was some sadness, and certainly there was some sense of loss. But the joy he seemed to have, to me, suggests that maybe, maybe now that he's actually doing it, that he's actually confronting it, he's realizing, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I am kind of happy to be walking away. I am appreciative of the love and affection that I'm getting, and and this is... This is something that I can do. And so, you know, I wonder, Clive, did, did you connect with that at all, a feeling that a manager would held on so tightly in such petrified fear of losing this job and, and this attachment in the moment when he was receiving that a- adulation and realizing it was over, that maybe, just maybe, he too had, had, had it, it, um, gone through a transformation and started to appreciate that, that it is for the best that he's stepping aside?
3: yep absolutely. I mean, Tim had yet set free. It looked like he'd been set free. It looked like a man you know I, i've I've worked in you know in the city in corporate environments, and you know those people who at work who are completely institutionalized and they can't even imagine the next day without their without their job. I felt that watching Ben go closely over the last few days, he looks like somebody that was fearful and institutionalized and so engrossed in his role that he had never had a chance to look at himself and I actually think he's been set free and I think he doesn't know what he's going to do and rather than be fearful he looks quite excited and quite happy and I I think it's almost wonderful to watch almost like a rebirth of him to see him smiling to see his face in a completely different light and I think not only has he been set free I, I think the I think the ground has been set free. I think the club has been set free. I've never seen the Emirates look so good. It just looked fantastic. Everything, the atmosphere. And I've often called Arsenal a sleeping giant. And when you see the crowd, the way it was, I don't know how it felt. I didn't go and I don't know how it felt, but it just looked completely unified, completely full up, completely looking beautiful. And everything was smiling, and everything was together. And I just kept thinking, not in a horrible way. It looks like everything's been set free. The manager's been set free. The club has been set free. The limits have gone. The players look set free. Everything looked like the sky's the limit. Well, I think there's a there's a mini momentum there, and I just I hope that someone, something, the next action can grab this momentum and and reconnect the club again. Because there's something there under the current. And, and uh, Tim's point about the silent majority is a really apt one. I think there's a lot of people who go but don't really engage, but they go. There's a lot of people that don't go, that really want to go. But they just stay quiet because they don't want to offend the club that they love. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, there's a few people that are angry. And they're the ones that seem to be controlling our identity. Right. So yeah. I really believe this that there's a limitless future. For this Club, a limitless future. I think we're going to find out how big we are. We're going to find out our our voice in that ground. We're going to find our voices as, as away fans as well. And, I, and I'm I'm excited. I'm really pleased that it's gone so well for him because he deserves it for 22 years. And I'm not. I, I don't feel limited as an individual, as a fan, and I don't feel the club has been. It feels limited any longer. I just hope we make the right moves going forward to really capture this feeling.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And you know, not to talk about DVDs because that's kind of a Spurs thing, but if you made a Blu-ray or a MP4 video of this day, what a hell of a recruitment video for the next manager, for upcoming players, for sponsors. I mean, the class of the club, the ability to pull together the big moments. It just—it's a place that I think anyone would want to be attached to and involved with, based on that day. And it's so great because Arsenal had become really a a black hole in some respects, in the sense of the mood around the club, the empty seats, the the sagging Premier League performances, the lack of trophies this season. Although you know, obviously there were the FA Cups, and to finish on such a high, so unified, really in in an envious position. As amazing as that sounds, maybe Arsenal's best gift to the club and departing is, yes, I'm leaving us in sixth, and yes, there are some problems around the club, but my departure so unified everyone that it actually lifted the club again and allowed this summer to be a better summer than maybe it would have been otherwise. And I I definitely think there's a lot of excitement, a lot to look forward to. And it's just wonderful to feel the chance for everybody to pull together and celebrate something together and also have the excitement of something new to debate and discuss and analyze. And so I I just think it's a, it's a total renewal. I will terribly, terribly miss arson. And at the same time, I am excited for the future that we embark on together. I want to cover a couple more things about the day. Um, You know, we can talk a little bit about his, his actual speech. I thought it was beautiful. And certainly the way he, he suggested that everybody get behind the players, uh, the way that he expressed his his best wishes for Alex Ferguson, just uh, showing his class's quality as a human being. But, Tim, there were certain you know questions about a couple of things around the stadium, one of which is the absence of Thierry Henry. I mean, do, do you want to mm. just quickly, quickly touch on this? Do you feel that – do you buy the argument that Henry is this guy employee and he had to do what his job required, that maybe he stayed away to keep attention off him, that maybe there is some bad blood there and, you know, he – he wasn't wanted there. What what would be your feeling about his absence?
2: Um, I, I don't have a strong feeling about his absence, actually. I, I guess because I don't know enough of the detail. Um, it could be that Sky just said, no, nope, you work for us, you're contracted to us, we're not showing this game today, you're working for us, which, you know, is fine. Everyone misses stuff for work.
1: Yeah, well, um, they were presenting be... the trophy to, to City, right? I mean, I, I don't get Sky, yeah, obviously, yeah. but so, I mean, it's, it's not like yeah. it was a nothing game. It was the, the trophy presentation day
2: no no and you know tony adams um you know very uh kind of notoriously stayed away um from arsenal was burkham there tim was burkham there i i didn't see to be honest they, they were right over i sit right on the opposite side to the tunnel so other than the ones that came up on the screen um i didn't really see who was there like i, I saw like petit ali Adier, a i didn't see gervinho
1: but he didn't turn up no well
2: yeah there we go um <laughs> But yeah, I, it's it's difficult to have strong feelings on it because I don't have enough of the details. And you know, it, it, he might have his reasons. Um, he might have his reasons. They don't necessarily have to be bad or based in bad blood. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have um, a strong feeling about it. It was um, it was about arson, um, really. And and listen, I'm sure they've got each other on WhatsApp, um, Thierry and Arson. I'm sure um, Thierry will and probably already has expressed, you know, his feelings towards us and Wenger privately. Um, And I'm sure he does regularly anyway. So um, he probably didn't really need to be. It would have been nice for us, you know. Um, And I'm sure whatever Omri's reasons are, I'm sure Wenger was the first to know about them.
1: I mean, I know there are some people that feel strongly about him being away. I I have a hard time connecting with that personally. Mm. Uh, Because first of all, why should someone else's celebration of an event impact your ability to enjoy it and celebrate it Um, you know and and likewise I don't really know what Thierry Henry has to do for me to to love him any more than I do I I mean whatever he does now as a pundit fine it can annoy me but it's it's not going to undo 227 goals for Arsenal and this is
2: I think this is a little bit of fans living vicariously through players it's it's because we wanted him to be there you know and it, and to no, add no, to, that's add that's to not,
1: our emotion too right I mean exactly, it, for us yeah. it's selfish it's yeah. not
2: about it's not about us and like I said wh- whatever Thierry Omri's reasons were for not being there Arsene Wenger will know about them um and that that's probably you know I'd love to have seen him there but you know he's he's not stranger to the place he's there quite regularly so um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal really
1: quickly. Uh, Tim, is there, is there any specific moment, specific thing the club did or a word that was said or an experience you had that you will always remember the day by, or will be the first memory you think back on when you reflect on the day?
2: Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, one of um one of the, so I, I sit with um, a friend of mine from school and his dad, um, and you know th- those those two, I, I go all over the country with them. I sit with them at away games, and you know we we've all been going together for a good kind of 17, 18 years now. Um, and you know they're not actually my blood family, but like my my friend's dad was my best man at my wedding and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it was, and so it was, um, and and so yeah, my my one of my friends is very very like very very kind of ardent um arson almost apologist um at times he he only broke on arson this season um like during this season was, wow. was the first Good time <laughs> and yeah, yeah 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 and and he and he would only say it like quite privately he was just like yeah um probably in any organization 22 years is too long and uh but you know he he feels very very strongly um about arson but yeah, we, we had a moment, you know, we had like a nice moment. It was just a kind of, you know, we're, we're witnessing real history here. And um, yeah, I, I think as well, my, my wife and I spoke about this on the way to the game. And we, we you know, obviously you go into reflective mode and stuff like that. And we were talking about it's going to be quite difficult unless the next manager is like Vieira, for example, um, which I incidentally, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was you know for the next guy it's, it's going to be a job um and that that might be difficult to adjust to um so you know those, those like little conversations you have with people that mean a lot to you that you that you go with and you've all got this sense that you know we're, we're again it's, it was exactly like the last day at Highbury in that respect it was just like we're, we're witnessing history today this is something even beforehand we were like we know we're never going to forget um this day and we're going to go back to it and and talk about it a lot and uh yeah it was it was those kind of i suppose it was more um more of a bond with the people that you go with and you share these moments with um because that's that's what really embellishes it even more than the players um it's the people that you experience with it with that makes it that makes it not just important but like life affirming and uh i think everyone had that sense today you know, everyone knew um, from from the day from the second the announcement was made, everyone knew that this game was gonna be the one everyone would want to go to everyone wanted a program from everyone wanted a piece of people were just coming around the stadium didn't have tickets they just wanted to be in the postcode when this was happening um so uh, yeah m- maybe not an absolute specific moment, but those kind of that that sense of share that sense of unity that sense of shared like we're witnessing history here.
1: Yeah, sorry, I, I, I didn't realize that my mic was muted. That's on me. That's on me, guys. Sorry, I'll take the L there. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's very well said. I uh, I have quite the noisy environment today, so I will be on mute, which, which has the benefit of uh, prohibiting some of my usual instinct to interrupt. So I'm sure you guys will enjoy that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't mean I won't I won't jump in there and, and interrupt, but probably a little bit less. Clive, th- there were goodbyes for some other uh, important uh, people at the club. There was uh, yeah. Alex Scott, Murtasacker Vic Akers. I mean, how did you connect with those? I mean, obviously Arsene Menger was the headliner, but you know, Vic has been there for what thirty plus years, it's thirty some odd years. Um, you know, Murdasacker has has been. A, a, a prominent figure at the club since his arrival and someone who I think really gets it and has connected with the club more than just as the average player and obviously uh, was Alex Scott the captain of the women's team?
3: Uh, up until recently yes. asking me, she be asking Tim She hasn't been playing as much because she's uh, very much in the media game now but, um, but she's, she's still she's the, the club captain she, She's a bit pair this season Got She's it. the club captain it, but yeah. she doesn't yep. really play
1: got it so she's she's very very tall okay um well so in in any event i mean how do you think the club did in balancing you know goodbyes for them and and how did you sort of react to those goodbyes as well
3: well you know the club do it perfectly don't they and this this is what we do right we do it absolutely perfectly we do it in the right order we do it the right way and and again with with um perfect example there's some there's some great great articles about him today and um He's he's he's. I think he's going to have a massively important role going forward. This guy is is he's, he's he's different. He's special. I tell you now, he's got something about him. The way he can really look at himself, understand himself, the experiences he's had. I mean, he moves into a role where he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a chief mentor type, chief really strong figure in the club. To a lot of our young play, people and young players, we get obsessed by the first team, the first teamers, but. A, most of the key people at, at the club who we've got, who are going to hold our hands to in the future, they're all under 21, right, so there's lots of people under the age of 21 that go throughout that club at Hayland and at Colney, and we get sort of, you know, fixed on you know, the 15, 20 or so that are the high-paid people, you know, and his influence is going to grow, and I, I can see him being a major figure in the club going forward, yeah. depends how he wants to develop, if he wants to coach, but just read some of the articles out there about him. I mean, I I just don't, I just have not read a bad word about him. And I think he's going to be very interesting to watch his development. And when, at a time when we have seen Wenger walk out of the club, in in my opinion, I said, I put a question through to ask us today, right? And and I said, do you think that um, as a club, as an employer, have have we failed Wenger? And and what I meant by that, I I I wish we'd have done this sooner. I wish we'd have forced his hand sooner. It may have forced him to look at himself like he is doing right now. And we wouldn't have all these many years of experience walking out of the club. I don't think that's smart organisational growth. So what we should have done is recognise the friends when they were there, did not allow him to carry on holding all the balls in the air, prepared much sooner for progression and succession, and then we have that man in the club in a role that befits him and befits his intelligence. And with someone like that walking out, I'm glad that does does walk out because I think a lot of the values that Benga holds are in Saka. And I think a lot of those good values will continue and, and there will be a good stewardship over the club. Standards will be set around the club. And I think he's going to be a very, very important figure. And the way the club managed that was absolutely fantastic. It was great to see him. Yeah, some minutes on the pitch, but also the reaction of the crowd.
1: It was great. Was every every touch. Amazing. Yeah, and, and that little cuddle he gave Arson before he, he subbed on. I mean, that, that kind of got to me a little bit, I have to admit. Um it Yeah, he, it shows
3: you that everyone can see him, see the good in him, right? So um It was the first uh, sort of really I'm,
1: unrestrained moment of the day. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. It yeah. didn't
1: it wasn't stage managed, it was just like true. Joy and affection.
3: There's a there's a a bond there's definitely an adult bond there. You can see that for absolute admiration both ways and I think a lot of Enker's values are in per sack and I think they'll continue.
1: Yeah, I mean I I look forward to uh when Mourinho announces his departure at United, Luke Shaw coming on and and giving him the same kind of cuddle like that. It'll be a nice warm moment for them. Uh Tim, I mean do do you have any sort of final thoughts about those guys, um Sack or Alex Scott or Vic Akers?
2: yeah 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 so with pair again it was great and um you know a bit of what i was talking about earlier about you know unifying um and things like that and, and creating bonds and pair really has that like we've seen and don't get me wrong you know this is a world cup winning center half he's really top quality player we've seen better and most of us can remember you know most of us can remember that very famous arsenal back five so um you know you come in after that well like invincibles back for you come in after that um you really you've really got to do something to impress Arsenal fans as a centre half as weird as that sounds in twenty eighteen but it, it's not you know we liked per because he was good but the reason everyone loves him so much is not just because he comes across so well and as, as a as a really nice guy but um you know he gets it he properly gets this club and you could sense from the second he walked in that it was, you know, he felt like it was a privilege um, to play for Arsenal. I, I spoke to someone who works at Arsenal, not not in like a high level capacity, uh, fairly like administrative. And um, he it was it was towards the end of his first season. It was an away game, and you know, Mertesacker came over. I think we'd won one nil at Fulham or something, and he scored the winner. And he came over, you know, absolute fists pumping over to the away end and uh i was i was sat next to this guy and he said um, and you know and we kind of said oh you know perry really, really seems to get this he really seems to be an arsenal man and he said you know as, as someone who works kind of behind the scenes at the club and does some of the arsenal community stuff he said he'll be here for years he looked like he's taken to it straight away he loves it and um and and you know sometimes i i don't know if that happens by chance or whether you know, he's made an effort to get it or whether he just found, you know, Arsene Wenger always says, you know, I found a club that, that, you know, that, that reflected my values and that I love them. And, and maybe it's, it's just that, or maybe he made like a proper effort. Um, I suspect it's, it's somewhere between both of yeah. them, to be honest. Nothing I, think, no. I think there's a,
3: I think there's a little bit of just history there. When he was a young lad, yeah. he came, he came to London, him and his yeah. brother. And I think, um, he, he, their dad bought him a shirt each. And Mm. he he just bought him an Arsenal shirt. And from a young child, he just had that connection. And it's funny how life goes, right? Many Um, years later, you end up playing for the club and winning the World Cup while you're at the club. And I I just think there's something happening there with him. You know, people just appear in your life, appear in your club. You think, well, he's he's a bit different. He's got something else. And if you look back, you know, the whole Wenger era thing and looking back have made me realise how many key people have even not mm. alive anymore or taken away from the club mm. and got reduced roles and you think about even people like Vic Hague has been there the whole time you know the physios yeah. have changed everything's changed apart from Vengo. and then you think about who's going to continue this going forward who's going to hold the standards going forward and I'm looking at Mertzak I'm thinking like, mate long as you're around this club will, all, will also always hold its values will always and- be there and I think it's very important
2: and, and I think that a lot of that was behind the decision to bring Jens Lehmann in as well. You're right. I, I mean, agree look with at, him. Look, look at who the two guys were. They chose, um, you know, and uh, sorry, this is a slightly side point, but given the re- the, the reception Sir Chips got, um, it's telling that they gave Bob Wilson the microphone and not Sir Chips. I mean, it's
1: probably too,
2: <laughs> it's probably too late now. We're the best. <laughs> that, that is an... Arsenal chairman, um, right there. Bob Wilson should have been made chairman some years ago, um, yeah. I think, because of you know he's very stately. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like Bob Wilson and Pat Rice, their association with the club goes back to the mid '60s. Obviously, they're they're around the club, but they don't work for it um, anymore. And they, you know, they were both there when Ben arrived. That's like that's 50 years of lineage, um, right there. And that's you know that's that's not to be sniffed at. That's really not to be sniffed at. Um, and, you know, I, I think you're right. I think Pear kind of carries that on. And um, I've I've actually met his brother um, before, uh, Timo. Um, his brother comes to away games and sits in the away end. I met his brother in Naples at Napoli away um, some years ago. And, um, you know, we were talking to him. We were like, surely, like, and, you know, uh, Napoli away is it's a bit dicey. It's a bit dangerous. And we were talking to him and we were like why the hell have you come into the away end today like surely you could have got tickets somewhere else and he was talking about it was very important to me and my brother um you know that we got this city that we got this club um and we like we understood like the, the kind of the heartbeat of this club um and and that, that always really impressed me because his brother doesn't have to do that. I'm Gee, sure thanks for never got. sharing that
1: with us earlier, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: the fuck has that been in but, the lockbox? <laughs> what a great story. Um, but look, but lo- lots of lots of people know that. But um, and and I'll I'll try and be quick on like uh, on Vic and Alex as well. And and Alex, um, it, it was wonderful to hear the Tottenham Hotspur. She's won more than you, um, Chant, when she was presented. Um, but uh, that's a gross. Under- statement. She's won more than Arsene Wenger. Um, she's won six league titles, seven FA Cups and scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. So um, she's an, an absolute club legend. Um, I'm, I'm actually interviewing her on Saturday, which will be her last uh, home game uh, for Arsenal women. Uh, someone I've, I've spoken to many times over the years, like like deli- like really, really, really nice woman and a really top professional and that's why arsenal kept her around she wanted to retire last summer because her media career is taking is taking off and arsenal wanted to keep her around for one more year and uh, it's it's the same reason that arsenal kept per Mertesacker and Mikel alteta around even though they could barely play anymore but i'd venture because... to say tim
1: if, if i could just cut cut across you there since mm. i i have the mic off mute I would venture to say that it is a bigger thing to ask of her because while Per Murtisacker makes millionaires' money as a player, mm. I wouldn't uh, doubt that Alex Scott maybe stands to make more in her media career than she does yeah, as, as a women's player. So choosing to put that on hold to stay with Arsenal probably meant choosing to forego greater earning power. And so, I mean, even a bigger yeah. sacrifice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And she's, you know, she's just got. Um, She's got huge respect from absolutely everyone and and with the women's team, lineage is very important. One of the things the women 's team have done they've kept around some of the old players like Faye white um and Claire Wheatley, who've won like twenty twenty five trophies and stuff like that they're all still there um and you know they're not they're not going to be able to keep Alex there because she's got another career coming, but they wanted her there for one more year because you know, she's done so much, she's won so much, she's a top professional, um, somebody who has everyone's respect. Um, and, you know, for a team that has been as successful as the Arsenal ladies slash women team, to stand out as a legend there, you've really, really got to do something. Um, she absolutely has. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's been a privilege for me to be able to speak to her uh, so many times as well. Uh, she's Fantastic person,
1: and I'm going to make a, a quick on mic apology because I, uh, as as a credit to how many people were at the Emirates <laughs> on Sunday, I actually wound up writing the Ars blog match report because apparently the 800 people who would be ahead of me on the list of people to do that. Um, were at the stadium. So uh, it's something I hadn't done before and something that I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to do. So while I appreciate being asked, I, I stressed out about it maybe more than I should have. And as a result, when I was listing the the farewells, uh, I, I did leave her off that list, and I feel terrible about it. And it was purely by virtue of uh, being overwhelmed by doing something that I uh, am not really qualified to do. So I wanted to on mic apologize for that and suggest that, that it is an omission that I regret. But... You know, I, I do think it has become in vogue to criticize the Arsenal board and Gazidis and the club ownership and, and suggest that, you know, you don't trust them to properly replace Arsene Wenger and that and with him gone, we'll really see the failings. But I, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, we've gone from Dick Law chasing Joel Campbell around Costa Rica for a summer and the cringy, audacious stunt, uh, if you remember, of the putting the British Corps up on the side of the Emirates, to stage managing an event like this so beautifully, so brilliantly, executing it so effectively, to securing Obamiang in January, I would say, quite efficiently, to our business being done more swiftly, more competently, um, maybe a bright young center back arriving in Mavropanos. I-, I think you could argue that between Raul and Sven and maybe even Gazidis, securing your know, sleeve sponsorships and-, and maybe getting Nike for us after are done butchering Arsenal shirts and things like that, that maybe, just maybe, the club is not in the worst hands. Again, I'm not trying to lionize people that don't deserve it. I'm just suggesting that this day, to me, and how well it was executed, and I realize a lot of people are involved in that, and it's not just you know the chief executive or anything like that. Right down to the social media and the content they created, the club really executed, and executed quite brilliantly. So I think the club deserves credit for that, and deserves credit for maybe not being the incompetent mess that we sometimes like to portray it as being Uh, just because the football isn't going the way we'd like. So I I don't ever want to stop uh, uh, celebrating Arsene Wenger, but I do think we are 37 minutes into the podcast, and there are some other things to get to. Uh, There was a football match played, not to mention that while we have been recording this, uh, the Ornicle, Ornstein, has tweeted about the next manager and the fact that it will be decided by the World Cup. It should be announced, that it won't be uh, uh, Tushel. Tuchel? Tuchel? Tim, do you have a... No, I do. No, I do. It won't be the T-U-C-H-E-L guy. That guy. It won't be him. Um, Thomas? It won't be Thomas. Uh, it, won't, it won't be... Um, ugh, I have to get the tweet up in front of me. I had it. Ugh, this is such lazy podcast hosting, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go. He says, um, No idea who, but not Simeone, not Tuchel, not Lowe. Uh, Rodgers, Faria, etc. don't sense Enrique. Here, Allegri plans to leave Juventus, but unclear on next move. But they do say they want a proper process and to respect those who already currently have jobs and want to name the boss by the World Cup, which seems actually a little bit late to be fair but yeah uh, yeah. (laughs) um you know having said that there's not a lot of transfer business that gets done before or during the world cup anyway so in this case maybe it's not the end of the world uh especially if raul and sven are driving the ship more in terms of recruitment not to mention that we have a whopping 50 million pounds so you know we could buy a backup right back anyway that's the news and we'll come on to that in a moment i think we should spend a little bit of time on the match you know i had thought about Digging into the dichotomy of criticizing Arsenal and wanting him out, and you know, idiots like Oliver Holt who felt the need to, you know, drag Arsenal supporters uh, on Twitter. But I just, I don't even want to give him the oxygen. It's not worth it. It was a stupid comment, and you know, he doesn't deserve our time and analysis. So let's dive into the match. And Clive, I mean this. This match is, is one of those things that leaves me thinking maybe the cupboard's not as bare as people suggest, and I realize it's just one game at the end of the season when all the pressure is off, but at least from an attacking standpoint, and this was without Mesut Ozil, and we can maybe touch on that a little too, um, th- there is a swashbuckling attacking side in here. Burnley are not a team that are used to conceding a lot of goals. They were thrashed. How much did you enjoy the football that we played on the day?
3: Yeah, football was beautiful, wasn't it? Sun was shining, the uh, the pitch was freshly, <laughs> freshly watered, and the ball was moving, and it just looked great. And everything that you know, the Wenger era represented w- was was on show. We had decisive, decisive defenders. We had fullbacks playing high. Shaka could turn around three times before anyone anyone got near him and pass it out to those fullbacks. We had Iwobi and Jack punching through holes, and we had, you know, we had Mkhitaryan taking shots, and taking shots, Lacazette taking shots, it all it all looks great, it all looks great, and which probably only adds to the frustration, and adds to people's complexity, and wondering, well, where, is this, where has this been, and I know Wenger then quoted our home record, to be fair, our home record has, has been good, apart from the Maybe two Manchester games, and one we were slapped. And the other one we were really unlucky.
1: That's actually an interesting and, um, point. We've been the best home team in the league, I believe, aside from Manchester City.
3: Yeah, and really, the only the Man City game was the one where I felt it was just bad timing after the the League Cup final, and we, and we looked really, really, really crushed. Right, so um, the Atletico okay, game, I know, it's a one-one draw. It was a one-one draw. But it was a 1-1 draw. Where we were in charge, and we and we messed up. And a Manchester United game was one of the most fantastic games that I've seen. You know, so um, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said about Arsenal at home, but Arsenal away is, is a different thing. And um, as we'll come on to that, no doubt. But yeah, really nice to watch. Really good flow. Really good movement. All the aspects of the game that we debate at times that we don't have were there two really forceful strikers a third one come on nearly broke the post i mean what's not to like right there is literally not not a lot you can did it encourage you it.
1: about lacazette and obama having a an arsenal career going forward together
3: yeah it, it's it's a it's something that we've we've all spotted on this podcast almost immediately just look at the two of them and think they've got a chance if, if they play together if they play together, that the what they do well, they com- they complement each other. It's simple as that. It's it's obvious they complement each other. They know the penalty box. If you go, if you push them up, they can go in behind. But if you sit deep, they can move in the box. That's a really interesting pair. Right, that's it really is. A Bamian scores a lot of his goals in the box. But if you want to push him up on the halfway line, you're in trouble. Lacazette, he's very smart. He can get in behind. But they both know the penalty box. And that's interesting because Arsenal are going to have a lot of teams pushed back into their box. And I've often felt sometimes we were a bit... And without Giroud, we're a bit thick in the box. You know, we don't move so well. So I think Aubameyang's movement's really, really good. There's potential there. There's potential at the top end with Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, like Lacazette. If you add a good Ozil, I'm sure we'll come on to him, then you've, you've got four very, very, very good names on the backs of shirts. It all comes about how we set the platform for them, what type of style we want to play, what type of manager we have and if we have make sure we don't have too many artisans versus what we need to do to shut the back door and then yeah. the future looks brighter
1: yeah i look i i don't think the covered is nearly as bare i mean look defensively it might be totally bare, bare. i mean not to dismiss chambers and and mavropanos we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit but i mean in the sense that kasheli's career may well be done Sacker's leaving mustafi we're not totally sure what we have in him so you know and we don't have a goalkeeper so that certainly has to be addressed but tim i mean your thoughts on lacazette nobameyang together this mm. this was a game where we saw them take turns occupying central positions and yeah. making central runs into the box. And they, they kind of started to look <clears throat> like they had the balance right of alternating mm. between taking up wide positions and central positions. Was this the best balance you'd seen in terms of their deployment that way?
2: Definitely. It was far more fluid. Um, you know, it was really uh, it was really like there, there weren't really any fixed positions. Even Mkhitaryan, he went right, he went left. Sometimes he wandered center a bit, and Iwobi went went a little bit wider it was it was totally fluid between uh, the four of them um really and and you know sometimes that needs a lot of understanding to work but the signs between Lacazette and Abamyang are really good um I'm not sure if it's a natural chemistry it might be but what's uh what's impressed me particularly about Abamyang is how much he looks for other players um and how unselfish he is so like he, both his goals I knew he could do that um, I've watched YouTube clips and seen Dortmund goals. Um, I, I know he can do that, but what's uh, you know? I didn't know an awful lot. else. I don't watch the Bundesliga every week, but you know those goals didn't surprise me. But where, where I've been, you know, maybe taken a bit by surprise is how often he looks for his teammates. He looks for other players, and it, it reminds me a little bit of you know the way Omri used to do that. Omri used to, you know, he had he was nearly prolific as prolific um in the assists yeah. kind of yep. field as he was a goal scorer and bamiyang has got a little bit of that about him the way he looks for others um and what's really interested me it would have been so easy for him to come in and i guess maybe i was kind of expecting this and him to go right i'm you know i'm the daddy now kind of thing um, <laughs> for, for for anyone who's seen the movie scum um, it would have been very easy for him to like come in and do that and, you know, go, Yep, sorry, Lacazette, I'm you know, I'm the one they really wanted. It's me, I'm playing through the middle, I'm going up front and you're gonna take a back seat. But, you know, he, he really, really hasn't. He's made he's he's really looks to me on the pitch, like he's made every effort to kind of say, No, we can work together. Um, with Lacazette in particular and he already has that relationship with Mikatarian, which has been very very useful for us because it's helped both of their acclimatization and and you know look when you buy 28 29 year olds you kind of expect them to hit the ground running um, but this was one of Lacazette's best performances for me he was very um he was far more sparky you know the shoulders weren't slunk it he wasn't like hiding you know marking himself out of the game he was popping out and kind of, you know, taking control
3: of the ball. He looked
2: much stronger. Looks fitter, and,
3: doesn't he, Tim? Looks fitter. Tim. Yeah, he,
2: he really did. It, it really looked like that kind of, um, and you know, he might, he might have a stinker in the next two games. I might regret saying it, but it might, that kind of light bulb moment you get when, um, when a player fully adapts and you think, ah, oh, here we go. This is what we've got. And, um,
1: to, and again, to, to like be fair, just, I, just really quickly, I mean, also he's played a lot of games recently with heavily rotated sides protecting the Europa yeah, League. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this was, and I realize Ozil wasn't in the side, but this was his chance to play with Lacazette and Mkhitaryan and you know, some really good attacking talent around
3: him.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it, it was it, so one of the things, one of the reasons I probably noticed it a little bit more, um, t- just to kind of row back to the Arsenal women for a minute. Um, you know, I was I was at the, the Women's Cup final on Saturday, and I spoke to uh, which unfortunately we lost. And I spoke to uh, I spoke to both of Arsenal's centre halves after the game, and I spoke to Leah Williamson, and she's um, she's a real like student of the game, you know. And I spoke to her about Chelsea's attack because Chelsea ladies don't play with a fixed striker, but they have about six players who chip in like ten plus goals a season. They just have like loads of attacking midfielders, and they will rotate. And she she was kind of saying the thing is with Chelsea is they gamble and they leave four up all the time. They just leave four players up and they let the other six just sweep up and they sweep up quickly and they get the ball forward again and they just say to those four players, we don't care where you stand, we don't care like we don't want you to go chasing after the ball but when the attack breaks down, leave that to the other six and they will get the ball back to you very, very quickly and you know, just don't bother with the chasing back stuff. Stay up and stay up wherever you like. Stay up on the right wing, on the left wing, centre forward, wherever you want, but just stay up so it's always four on four.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that that kind of reminded me of what Arsenal did yesterday. Um, it was a little bit, not quite four on four, but it was just like Lacazette, um, Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang. It, it, it just looked like they enjoyed themselves. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they didn't chase back or anything like that. In fact, there was an incident where a Bamiyang chase back to the corner flag to win the ball back. But, you know, it really felt like that. You know, it, it's one of the, it, it's fairly typical Austin, isn't it? its It's a bit freeform, a bit jazz. And when it works like it did yesterday, it looks fantastic.
1: Yeah, but I, I think there's a little something else to this, Tim. And it's the development of a midfield three. And it's where I think the Mesedozzo question starts to become an important mm. one. Because, first of all, I think Alex has had back-to-back fantastic games. I think he was fantastic at Old Trafford. I thought he was fantastic yesterday. And this is a player I've been very critical of as one of the three forwards. And maybe he isn't one of the three forwards. Maybe he is part of a midfield three because that's how he's played the last two games and I thought he's done it brilliantly. Um, Shaka, Wilshire, and Awobi and controlled the midfield. They were progressive. A lot of line-breaking passes. A lot of good driving forward moves. I mean, um, for Kolasinac's goal, we saw Jack sort of turn back the clock, trick his way past a guy, and surge forward, and it was great mm-hmm. to see. But this is really the issue, isn't it? And, and Clive, of course, I, I want you to come in on this uh, as well. In fact, how about this? How about, Clive, Why don't you, you come in for this, and we'll come back to Tim on it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how significant is it that we saw this performance happen with Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, and Aubameyang up front, but a true – three in midfield to control and advance and and um build the play as opposed to having Mesut Ozil sort of nominally as one of the three you know but but sort of losing some of that controlling flow i mean what what's your take on on how how you get the best out of that kind of system
3: <laughs> well you, you know my take right get, uh, get so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we we have we have decisions to make soon we, we really do, right? And um, and when we stop fitting in people and try to work to a system, say, by the way, you've got to fit into that system, rather than fitting in people because they got big names at the back of their shirts. Then we're going to get somewhere. Right, so I'm a pragmatist. I like to I like to make sure that nothing comes down the middle. Right, so and so I like you know I look at people like Wobie. Well, I think okay, you're you're quite nice in the ball going going forward. You can you can take it on a half turn. You can drive. You can pass. You're quite strong in you know, in one on one contact. But I don't think you can press the ball defensively. You need to press the ball defensively and be able to sustain it and not fall or go off a cramp after 65 minutes. So if I'm his manager I'm thinking well you've got real power, real strength, you can drive like Jack, you're stronger, you're faster and you're young. Now if I could develop that defensive side to your game and get and make you last 90 minutes You've got a chance to be uh, a number eight, like you know, like City have their two number eights in, in um, yeah. David Silva and De Bruyne, right? So why can't he do that job? Well he hasn't got the all round game yet, so we've got to develop that, right? I know from my United friends of mine that Mika tyler has done that a few times at Manchester United. You can see he's got the intensity to go and challenge the ball, but you can see he can travel with it. He's an all round midfielder and he's got end product. Does he play deeper? Does he play higher? At the moment he looks so so dangerous higher, you play him higher. I look at I don't want to criticise anybody, but there are other players in our in our squad that have not got that level of intensity, which means we can't play them deeper. So we've got to find a way to fit them in higher. Then you start getting into system discussions, right? So I don't want to get too deep into this because we don't know what a new manager is going to do. We don't know how he's going to play. But I do believe there's a number of players in our squad that have very much overlapping talents. And then we have some major gaps in our squad that need to be filled. And amongst those, we've got many overlapping talents. And I do think there's a decision to be made if you're looking to build your squad appropriately. We haven't got a, a wide winger, a dribbler, that's very, very fast, maybe with a left foot. We need that player in the squad. I think we definitely need a centre-half. We definitely need some full-back comer. We definitely need a goalkeeper. And we probably need a, a connecting, potentially a connecting midfielder in, in centre-midfield, whether it be a physical player or free transfer in Max Meyer, right? So we know that, in my opinion, that's what we need. But, but then we've got decisions to make over the complementary skills that we have. They're very much overlapping. We may have to decide, well, who's the one we, we put our house on? And that's not even talking about Maitland-Niles, for example, who can also do that number eight role. Who are we going to put our house on? And who who do we need to say, well, you know what? We've got another player just like you. We may need to move you on. It's not because we don't like you or not, because you're not a good player... This is just squad building.
1: You're talking about I mean, Ramsey. I mean, you can just you can say it. You don't have to beat around no, the bush, man. We're not selling I, a Mesut Ozil I, 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 I because you, he's on three, three. three Yeah, you, you can't sell You could say Mesut Ramsey, Ozil.
3: Ozil. You could say Jack. Well,
1: but you can't I mean, sell Mesut players. Ozil, cause, right? I mean, I, I'm not talking about like you can't because I don't want to. I, I don't want to. What I'm saying is like with the money we just put him on, there's no market for him, Right.
3: Uh, that's the way I see it as well. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pick on a name because there's no point because we don't know the new manager. We don't know the identity. Pick on we don't a know name. Put play. yourself out so, there. What, so, what Clive, <laughs> so, what Clive thinks about the squad building it's almost immaterial, right? But what I will say is <laughs> you only look at our squad and look how many players play the same way. And we do need to change that balance. And so, to do that, there's a decision coming. I've always felt that we can't keep them all. Because we're not going to improve how we play, we're not gonna be able to play in a style which accumulates points. We can't keep them all. We have to change something. And I, I am not one of those that believe that this same group of players is going to find thirty-five points under new manager. I don't believe that. Well, no, we no, no, one's no one's getting to hundred.
1: No one's getting to hundred points next season. So if City do that again, we're not winning the title. So I, I guess the better question is: Could this? Could this team get twenty points? Could could they get to eighty? Could they get to eighty-two? Could they get to 85? Well,
3: they, they, they've dropped about 12. They, didn't, they should never have dropped. You just add in the Swansea. Because the home North form Bryan, is there, Clive, right?
1: I mean, if we, if we repeat this West home Brom, form
3: next season. Stoke, Just add those games in there. Right. And that's just being professional. Just add those games, those, those away games there. We lost at Brighton. And we're, in a much, <laughs> we're, we're much more in a competitive position, right? So, but we lost them. And I know Arsenal team has lost that many away games for as long as I can remember. And we have to ask ourselves why. Is it Will a new coach change all that? Or do we need to change some of the players? I think it's a combination of both.
0: Yeah. All
1: right. Look, look. I mean, I don't disagree with anything you've said. And by the way, I mean, our home form is good enough to be a title challenger. It is. And the thing that makes the away form tough and makes it hard to evaluate this season, and I'm not trying to be revisionist or exonerate the team, but we started the season with Alexis Sanchez coming back slowly, and then Alexis Sanchez was there, but then Alexis Sanchez maybe didn't want to be there, and then we sold Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud and Francis Conklin and Alexis Sanchez in one window in the middle of the season and brought in Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan, and it took a while for them to hit the ground, and there was a Europa League campaign. and uh, So a very, very weird season in that respect. I mean, Tim, let's stick narrowly for a second, though, on the issue of the midfield three. I don't think a midfield two-plus Ozil can challenge for the league. I, I've seen it, and it doesn't work. I don't think it gives us the control. I don't think it gives us the consistency. What is Ozil's role, in your opinion, going forward? Is there a way to get a midfield three and Ozil in the team that makes the most use of our talent, or do we just keep banging our head into the two-plus Ozil model? Um, I
2: mean, it's, it's it's very difficult to say because um, we don't know the new managers going to do my I so I still think um we should go to a back three
1: um now you've got Clive listening again (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I still think that that's the best way um I still think that that's the best way of getting a front two. look like let's look at where our strength is in the squad and we're saying that we've got really good attacking players and we're kind of sorted there so you know let's build on that and it's the best way of getting a front two with Ozil behind them and then having a back three and the wing backs therefore negates our complete and utter lack of width as well um and doing like a maybe like a three five one one or a three five two or you know whatever like I, i i think that's a very 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 viable way with with what we've got and if we're also talking about you know, one of the young centre-halves might have to step up and take a more senior role next season, that's probably going to be easier for them to do in a back three um, than it is in a back four. So if we're talking about, you know, I think Callum Chambers has been excellent this last six weeks or so, or if we're talking about Rob Holding or Mavrapanos or or whoever, you know, if they're going to make that step up, I really think that playing in a back three, might be the best way to do that, and particularly if we're going to be in a situation where we've got to play more than one of them um, at once. I, so, you know, I to me that seems like the most viable way. We've just paid, you know, we've just put down big money on an Özil contract, and let's have it right. Um, we got him to sign that contract because we were offering him more money than any anyone else did. So if we were looking at going down the avenue of shifting him, it might be very, very difficult because evidently nobody else outside of China was willing to pay that kind of wedge for him in January so they're not going to pay it in July either so you know I, I don't want to say we're stuck with Herzl because that's that's like a ridiculous phrase but you know I, I don't think we can really countenance that we've we've thrown like we've thrown our lot in there now um, and we need to find a way to make it work and for me like Ozil, Lacazette, Abamyang together, that works. Back three, that works. Whether, you know, uh, or that potentially works. And then with our midfield, I mean, our midfield needs complete reconstruction anyway. So if that's the way the new manager wants to go, then let's just buy the midfield. You know, he's already got Xhaka there. Buy someone who can partner Xhaka and, you know...
1: And sell Ramsey? Probably
2: doesn't have to be... It, if, well, I, do do I you think, think the way he? More.
1: Do you think that th- the, a lot of people are pointing to his sort of extended autograph signing and lingering at the stadium on Sundays as a sign that he's off? I mean, is that? Do you, do you read anything? I'm, that?
2: I'm not convinced that decision's made, but I think that decision will be. I think Arsenal will definitely extend um, if he wants to. Um, I, I think it would have been done by now if it was completely up to Arsenal. So that tells you the decision's coming from Ramsey. I um, I happen to think he won't stay. Um, if he does, I'd be delighted, but if he doesn't, I don't think it's the end of the world as much as I like him because, you know, he's he's his injury problems, I, I don't think they're going to get any better with age and the type of player he is. You know, he might not age brilliantly, but then again, like Frank Lampard aged pretty well. Um, so, you know, may, may, maybe he can, but I, you know, that, that it would be a blow, but I don't think it'd be the end of the world. Ozil, that's not an avenue I think we can go down um, at this point. Nor spring. should we. we. I mean, he's a special a player. No, if
1: you can't find a way to, to win with Mesut Ozil, I think that's your fault, not his. That's just my opinion. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, you know, he, he's not much different from Bergkamp in that respect. Um, imagine trying to accommodate uh, Dennis Bergkamp now in an era where, like, the two-striker thing isn't really there. Bergkamp I- I'd give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah yeah of course but Bergkamp went through long periods of inconsistency and in the modern day he'd be ex- you know he was considered the second striker now he'd be expected to be an attacking midfielder there's been a slight change in the number 10 role and the number 10 role that he used to play doesn't really exist at the highest level anymore but you're right you'd give it a try wouldn't you so I, I think we've got to find a way to make it work I think there is potentially a way there to make it work um, but it, you know it's all on the new manager he might decide do you know what no, no I'm not interested I don't want that I want to go down a different path so we'll see.
1: Do you have any saltiness about Ozil taking the rest of the season off or couldn't care less?
2: No not really um, I you know I've got no reason to believe he hasn't got a back injury he's got a World Cup coming up these games don't really mean a great deal um, at this point maybe over the long term I'd like him to play North of the Watford Gap a little bit more next season, but um, I, I, like I don't think given the criticism he got on Thursday night, which I thought was quite unfounded, um, to be honest, I, uh, I I don't think Arsenal would have wanted to take him out of the firing line, particularly for a game like this. He'd have loved this game, um, so I I tend to think. There's probably so like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure if there was something riding on these games, he could play them. But if he's carrying a bit of a back complaint, no, that's fine with me.
1: Fair enough. I mean, last quick question for you here, Tim on this is, uh, do do you agree with my assessment that Awobi has sort of sparkled a little bit in these in the midfield role? Yeah. That maybe that that's the futures a little further back up the pitch for him? Yeah, 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 maybe,
2: maybe, but um, he's he's been quite inconsistent. We've seen some really, you know, he there's every chance he'll play there again on Wednesday and be awful. Um, so, uh, you know, and but you know he'll get that chance now in the next two games without Ozil there and. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. There's not an awful lot riding on them anyway. So let's find out if he can string four good games together.
1: Yeah, and I realize the irony of saying, you know, a little further back up the pitch and playing in midfield. You know, he wound up getting a goal in the game. So, you know, there's that end product we've been talking about. It was just such an enjoyable game to watch. And, and it was Arson's the the best of what Arson's philosophy can be a lot of players expressing themselves with free roles going out there and and confusing the hell out of the opposition and dominating them and I think our home form this season is encouraging look any team that can rack up the points we did at home that can rack up the goals we did at home that has the attacking talent we have can't be totally written off as not being a factor next season and I just when I see people saying that the manager has left the team in a terrible position I I just have the hardest time understanding where that's coming from and I realize you know, we're not we're not challenging Manchester City for the title next season, but I, I equally don't think we are the next, you know, early aughts Liverpool, you know,
3: cut adrift from the, the top four. We are we're the a six best team. That, that's it. See, we're I just don't know team. that we are.
1: I, I mean, I just don't know that. I mean, I think, I, and and you know, things can change so quickly. I I look at Chelsea and I see a very mediocre team. Now realize they. Oh, things things. I'm not saying things
3: can't change. We're the sixth best year, team right we, now. This we're year. the sixth best team, In all the numbers. We're the sixth best team. You, right, you know, so, you know. our, our, and and that's it, and, and that's and that's where we are. And it's very difficult. I don't want to be critical. The day after after the most one of the most momentous days in our history. And after a 5-0 win in the sunshine, it's not really a time to uh, pull us all apart. There's, there's always
1: a time for that, Clive. Trust me.
3: Yeah, let's just contextualize it. You know, every every single player looked fantastic, right? And, and a few days earlier, every, we had a few players hiding behind Athletic Conference Madrid shirts, right? I'm under pressure here. So... I'm just going to breathe a little bit and wait and see what the future holds and see what type of team we want to construct I'm a big fan of the back three if if you walk into this club right now looking at our set of players and thinking okay I've got to work this squad for for my life the quickest way to roam with with the ages of our centre-backs with the fact we've got no real wingers the quickest way is to invest in wing-back full-back cover the wide areas and use all these interior players that we have and work out who's going to shine and work out who's not going to shine and move the ones not going to shine out make sure the ones that are going to shine get plenty of game time and we we make sure we have two fours on the pitch at all times, and we move the emphasis of our game further forward. That's the quickest way to to success, and then you build and upgrade from within that framework. And then if you want to go to your, a separate framework, a more of an attacking four three three at home, that makes perfect sense as well. So, I think I'm just going to hold my hands for a little while, hold my thoughts, and say, okay, what's going to happen going forward? We've seen the allegory stuff on on the Ornstein Twitter tonight. We've got a deadline of the World Cup. It's just basically telling you a timeline. That's all they're doing there. It'll be done before then. I think Allegri's a two-to-one favourite. And that's. And I think all seems more than telling us that. Uh, he's saying that he's going to leave Juventus. Let's see what happens. See how he wants to play. He's played with four. At the back, he's played with three. He moves around system to system. Let's see what happens. I, I, I'm really not too sure. But if I was a manager, I would definitely want to go three at the back and build from there.
1: I don't disagree with that. I think the nice thing is it gives you the flexibility of either going three-five uh, or, or sort of a three-four-two-one. A
3: three, three-four-two-one. Three, yes. Yeah, three, so, four, so, two. so what I mean
1: is you can do Mikatarian and Ozil behind Lacazette or Aubameyang, or you could do Lacazette and Aubameyang ahead of Mkhitaryan or Ozil. You know what I mean? Um, and and you can kind of change how that how that's structured. The thing that's really interesting, you guys, is if you think about it. We still haven't really seen much of Mkhitaryan as, as an Arsenal player or Aubameyang as an Arsenal player. Klaus Sinatra basically had a a non-starter season, right? A do-over a, in the United States. We call it a redshirt freshman season. Uh, no one's going to understand what that means, but you know, sort of a, a sit-it-out kind of season. There are players that we don't entirely know what to make of. Mavropanos has just dipped a toe in the first team, and he looks like he could be good. Chambers' form is rounding out a little bit. So, I mean, there's there's still a lot of... Of Good stuff here I think to to look forward to and not to mention some of these young players who have had just little cameos this season like Maitland Niles could wind up playing a significant role next season a new manager with new ideas plus maybe a, a new player or two can make everything look totally different.
3: So. I'll tell you what will happen next year, Elliot, which is, which happened this year, but it'll have a different meaning. We're back in the Europa League again. Right? So with them but with a manager that's really gonna have to improve our league position. So we will go back to that two team scenario again yes, in the early course, part yes. of the season. And I think and I think that's gonna be the real period when he's gonna look at what he's got. And he can look at them in a competitive game, in a really competitive game. And it's going to be interesting to see the first team, second team scenario games for the first half of the season. And we, we found Jack again during that period. We maybe lost Giroud through to that period. So it's going to be interesting to see how he how manipulates the squad for that first three, four months.
1: Speaking of which, I thought Giroud had some nice comments uh, after his game for Chelsea about the manager and also uh, headed home the goal that gave them the win that still keeps alive the possibility that Spurs could finish outside the top four. So, you know, he's still an Arsenal man at heart. I can admit that. Uh, let, let's finish with just one more, you know, kind of kind word about Arsene and, and about the, the day itself. So, Tim, just in terms of uh, his speech and, and the words that he had to say, I thought they were very moving. I mean, were, mm-hmm. you, were you moved and impressed by, you know, what he had to say, obviously, when they handed him the microphone?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what what you saw, you know, <clears throat> I go to the AGM most years nowadays, and what you see is uh, a great orator, uh, someone who's very, very at ease. Um, you know, that's not, I do some public, I say public speaking, <clears throat> I kind of deliver training a lot in my job. So, you know, I kind of tend to think I'm all right with things like public speaking, but speaking to 60,000 people, um on your last you know on your last game there when you've been there for 22 years you know i've, I've seen my fair share of retirement speeches you know he wasn't reading off a card it, either you
1: know
2: <laughs> no you no, know, and doing that in front of sixty thousand people is such ease because when i i thought you know oh well obviously he's going to do a speech and i thought oh god i wonder if he'll cry because that must that must be re- that it must be really really hard not to um at a time like that but you know, there, there was no... And, you know, I wouldn't have blamed him uh, had he. I, I was kind of expecting it, to be honest. But, you know, just completely held together. Um, and it, it showed you what, what a great um, orator he is. And, you know, you get, you get a glimpse from that of what he must be like in the dressing room in terms of the kind of aura he has. Um, because that's not easy, like, delivering team talks and keeping... Groups of like thirty plus young competitive men engaged and listening to you, and uh, you know he had everyone eat, eating out the palm of his hand. And I've seen it at AGMs time and time again where you know the chairman has spoke reprehensibly um, to the people uh, who deigned to ask him questions, where the majority owner doesn't say anything at all, and, and neither does his son. And Arson saves those occasions absolutely rescues them and what you know what i saw yesterday really reminded me of that where so chips got booed the cronkies were up on the screen and they got booed um but then wenger walks in and there's just this instant reverence and uh, you know it's what it's why i've really really railed against this idea that you know like I said earlier, like Arsenal fans are forcing him out and they all hate him and they're all protesting against him. There has always, always, it's not even been an undercurrent. There has always been that reverence there, even in the difficult times, there has really been that, that absolutely visible reverence for the man. And we really saw it in that speech. And, um, and, you know, he, he handles that kind of occasion, um, that kind of scenario brilliantly. And, uh, I really liked his speech. I, I liked him starting it with um, with the Ferguson thing, which which I think is, you know, it, it's, it's perhaps not really appropriate to tie that into any kind of narrative uh, surrounding this. But you know, it, it must be a reminder for him and for everyone of you know the fragility of life. Um, you know, these were guys who who, who for close to twenty years, and and you know in the same week, you know, one of one of them's in a fragile position, one of them's, you know, leaving the club. It it's it's it, it must be a little bit poignant, um for Arson. You can't help um, but draw the comparisons. I'm
1: sorry, I totally agree with that. There's yeah, nothing wrong with yeah, saying yeah. that. you can't help it. If you're Arson too, I think a big thing that has kept Arson in the job is the fear that if he retires he has to confront the fact that he's getting older and the end is near. You know, I'm yeah. not near hopefully, but you know what I mean. in front of
2: you. Yeah absolutely it must be really important particularly you know when they had that nice moment just last week um with the presentation and everything and you know they've really grown in respect towards each other not just since Ferguson left I think it started a few years before that um I think it started with perhaps Mourinho and Abramovich and they kind of looked around at each other and thought oh it's just you know us two old fuckers like taking on these absolute bastards now and um and, and yeah, and, and, and everything, you know, as you'd expect from Arsen's perfectly measured. And uh, I actually really liked the quite curt ending to this quite emotional, um, like almost tear-jerking statesman-like speech where he just said, like, thanks, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and, that, and, and that was it. Um, I, I, I actually really liked that. I, I thought that was uh, maybe not fitting, but... Um, you know because the man says he doesn't like to look back and and things like that and and yesterday must have been you know sunday must have been very very odd for him but that that was kind of a nice quite informal ending um to it all and yeah yeah i you know i i'd be nothing would make me happier than to see him you know in the director's box regularly um, at the stadium, you know, regularly a part of the club. I'm sure he's going to keep his distance, you know, for the first year or two, um, you know, so as not to cast a shadow and I think he will have that respectful distance for his successor. But in a couple of years, I'd love to see him as a regular um, in the director's box. I'd love to I'd love to see him comparing club, but I'd, you know, I'd love to see him you know maybe maybe not a part of things in terms of you know being on the board or something like that i you know i don't know like i you know i think maybe he'd make a great chairman um i don't think he'd want that but um you know i I'd, i I'd, i I'd just I'd, I'd like to think that this isn't the complete end of his association with the club whether that be formal or informal um there'll be that couple of years where i think rightly he'll keep his distance but you know, I'd I'd love to see him back one day in the director's box with a blanket over his lap, hmm. you know, quietly grumbling about Mikel Arteta or Vieira or whoever's in the whoever's in the dugout. Um, you know, i I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him I'd love to see him come back, if not in a holding up capacity. a piece of A four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, saying like I'll tatter out. Um, (laughs) Um,
1: You're kidding yourself because he's not going to have any time for anything other than writing this (laughs) 1,000-page book he's going to have to write, my friend. So that's it. Um, I mean, Clive, is, is the hardest part of moving on from him going to be the way he speaks about the game and speaks about life? Like, whoever the new man is, when he sits down for that first press conference and opens his mouth and you think, you're no arson, mate. Like, is that... Is that going to be the hardest part? Just that nobody yeah. speaks the way this man has spoken about football for twenty-two years.
3: Yeah, well, we're going to get a new coach, right? And we're going to have a coach who's going to potentially produce some very good results one day, you know. And we're going to we're going to love that coach if they do well, and if they don't do well, maybe we will not love them. And whoever comes in, if it's ever possible for anyone to be irreplaceable, it's him. You can't replace him as a man. You can replace him in his role as a coach. As as an individual, he, he's 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 right up there, isn't he? And I said last week, he's he's almost beyond the game of football. And it was obvious he's beyond the game of football. His thought process, how he looks at life, how rounded the individual he is, his depth of topics he can speak about. He's just beyond football, and we, I just I, I find it astonishing how lazy as a club we were. To just allow him to derail right and I think it's wrong and I, and I think it's it's going to cost us a couple of years and then he will come back hopefully as club president in a role where he can represent us in the globe and represent our club as as we would expect it to because because right now a lot of people yesterday were sad and they also, Looking at themselves and thinking, crikey did we, did we treat him right? Did, did I, did I slag him? Did I, was I really that bad?" Mm. Because you look at the man and you think, "Bloody hell, he's top class." He, a, he just looked at everybody in that ground and, and looked at them like he loved them, and everybody in that ground, at, at some point in time, has gone for fuck's sake, Vender. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> and we take out our frustrations on him, and then you see the man open up, and you think, "Crikey, you're top class." and I've met him once or twice. I've been lucky enough to go to Arsenal training and I I have met him and stood there and spoke to him and my goodness, mate. He's just, he's just, um, he's just revered throughout the whole club. He what about it four or five years ago, but just like revered throughout the whole club, and everybody hangs on his every word, and his presence is just all over the ground, all over the training ground. Everything comes back to him. He dominates, and people talk about him after wins, after defeats, and everything is about him and when he comes past he, he goes jogging every day and he jogs up to the group of people that come to watch training and he'll come and speak to every single one of you and every one of us just stood there catching flies in our mouth do you know what I mean? He's oh, just a different class, he's just different class yeah. and there's so many idiots in the game that not fit to lace his boots but I'm afraid the game is about winning football matches and this is where you know, people look and we, and we judge him on the on the minutiae and, and and hey, look, change comes to us all. You know, I wasn't, I'm not the same man I was ten years ago, right? So, um, for the better, change comes to us all. Absolutely, change yeah. comes to us look, all.
1: And, I, um, you you nailed it, Clive. And you know, he he said it himself. He said, you know, when he meets his maker and they say, you know, what did you do with your life? He'll say, I tried to win football games. Um, so, you know, no matter what we say about his philosophy, his ideals. He's a man who recognizes that his job was to win football games. And I will miss so much about him. But I also think it is fair to say that, you know what, Arson, maybe you just stopped winning enough football games. And that's okay. Um, and that means it's time to step aside. And, you know, he did speak nicely about, you know, stepping aside and seeing what a new man can do and that we should all get behind the new manager and get behind these players. And I'm glad he said that because I – You know, I think there may be some corners of the fans. You know, we've talked about the Wenger out-brigade or whatever it is, the people that maybe hounded him out a little more than they should have, but there are also the people that have adored Arsene almost like a a member of the family who may be resistant to... uh, Care for the next man, And, and you know, look, the good news is that the cycles now are going to be shorter. You'll have a manager for three, four, maybe five seasons. You don't have to hold him to your bosom the way you have with Arsene. You don't have to adore him like you did a family member. You just have to like his tactical approach to the game and the results he gets. And maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off all of us as fans because there is sort of an Olympic sport out there among some people of trying to perform their love for Arsene Wenger better than other people perform their love for Arsene Wenger. And it gets to be a bit too much at that at that point. The reality is he's a man we all have great appreciation for, great respect for, did a brilliant job. This was a job, and he did it brilliantly for most of 22 years, and uh, we thank him for that. I I think it would be inappropriate on this occasion to talk about who the next manager will be. I think given the statement that uh, Ornstein put out, we probably have a little bit of time to get to that, and we still have to do a couple more podcasts before the end of the season, and then a sort of season summary podcast those are good chances to look ahead to squad changes to next manager, things like that. We've got some really great questions on Twitter about the next manager, too. But I just think given the occasion, let's uh, put a pin in that and come back to it in, in the next episode. So uh, I want to thank everybody for, for listening. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul uh, and his his hoo- cloven leg, his his hoof, whatever he's got on the end of his ankle. Oof. Hoof. His Hoof. Is Robert Huth. Um, yeah, it, it is quite a sight. In any event, uh, though, we hope to have him back. Uh, quick bit of bookkeeping. I actually will not be here for the podcast after Lester, so uh, you will be in good hands for a change. In any event, Tim's on Twitter. Stobardo, thanks, Tim. Merci. Merci beaucoup. Uh, de rien, je vous en prie. Et aussi, Clive. Clive est en... Twitter uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C thanks live
3: I'll just take we thank you very much
1: yeah that'll work my name's Elliot Smith uh, To peux block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner uh, and we will be back I will not be back I will be back hopefully but not after the next one but uh, the podcast will be back uh, after uh, Arsenal 10 Lester nil. merci beaucoup Arsene